are you worrying about tomorrow? Tomorrow I'll have enough stuff to worry about. That's what Paul said. I think so many times we get so bent out of shape worrying about all the stuff that's going to happen, but you know as well as I do, life can change in a moment. So you take the day that you have and you make the best of it. We are in the book of Thessalonians. We've been walking through the book of 1 Thessalonians, and Paul is writing to a little church, not a little church, but Paul's writing to the church at Thessalonica. Uh, And in that church, Paul's trying to encourage them. So you see themes of faith, hope, love. Because things were getting very tough in this, in this area. Uh, they were about ready to, or they were at the time of facing persecution uh, from Rome. Uh, Christians were having a very, very difficult time trying to live for God, and they were living for God during this time. But it was getting hard, and they had a lot of questions. And so Paul, on, on his second missionary journey, after he had been there, just a short time after he had been there, he writes back to them while he's still on his journey, and he tries to find out some things and to encourage them. So he has sent, we talked about this a couple weeks ago. He sent Timothy up to find some stuff out. Timothy came back. It was encouraging. Paul's now writing to them, trying to answer some of the questions that came up while Timothy was visiting. And so we have this book. We have this letter that Paul wrote them, known as First Thessalonians. And we've talked about some of the different themes in there, about the idea of learning to share your story. We've talked about uh, some of the ideas of, We've been entrusted with the gospel. What an incredible thing that God has given to us. And last week we talked about the, li- the idea of living life, a whole life, a complete life, a full life. They are living in some very, very difficult times because these people have a lot of, a lot of questions about death. And that comes up at the end of chapter 4, and then he's going to talk about a little bit in chapter 5. So when we get to the end of chapter 4 and the beginning of chapter 5, Paul starts talking about the end times because they were facing so much persecution and so much difficulty that they were wondering, hey, what about the end times? What about what's going to happen next? Is this the end time? What happens to people who who die? Will we get to see them again? They have all of these questions. And so Paul is going to start addressing some of them. So got to lay a little groundwork before we get to the chapter, but let me give you a little bit of history. In, in Thessalonica, um, historically we know this, there was, a, there was a phrase, there was an idea there. And uh, some places I've read there's actually a, there was actually a monument to it, but, but here's what it says. After death, no reviving. After the grave, no meeting again. So the idea in the city was when you died, that was it. Never got to see anybody again. Never got to know, never got to say hi to him, never got to spend any time with him. It was just death was death. They found a tombstone in Thessalonica. Here's what it says. Um, I was not, I became, I am not, I care not. So the idea was, I lived, I died, that's it. No more, no less, nothing after that. Now, when you add to that the Greek culture, and in the Greek culture, there was an emphasis on the mind, and they looked at the body as something that just kind of got in the way of life. So, in the Greek culture, when you, your body was, was pushed aside or died, then they had this kind of nirvana idea that your mind would continue on. And so, in their world... The idea of a resurrection or the idea of something after death was nonsense. 
Now, if you're a Christian, if you come to Christ and you have been surrounded by that culture, you've got a lot of questions about what happens after you die. So <clears throat> Paul, and then you've got Rome starting to come in and persecution and people being killed because they're Christians and, 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 and people being killed because they're Jews. Um, well, you've got a lot of questions about, is this the end? So Paul writes to them to help explain some things. Uh, and that's what we're going to get into uh, this morning and, and, and actually next week. We're going to talk about two things, two very separate things, one this week, one next week. This week we're going to talk about something called the rapture. Next week we're going to talk about something called the second coming. Um, we're getting into some end time stuff. So uh, that gets very confusing to a lot of people. So let me lay a little bit of groundwork for you before we get into it. Okay? You have to understand one thing about when we start talking about end times. You have to understand earth, earth view and then like a heaven eternal view. You and I think in terms of past, present, and future. We have this concept of time. This was the past, this is the present, that's the future. If you are in eternity, there is no future. It is. So when God talks about things happening, we like to put it in the terms of past, present, and future. How is this happening? Where does it relate? Where does it fit in all the schedule? And all this? We like to put times around it. But when God talks about it, he's timeless. So that's why when the Bible says, you know, a day with the Lord is like a thousand years. Uh, there's no concept in eternity of time that way. Time's an earthly concept. So when... The Bible talks about the end times. Well, the end times are the end times. We like to go, okay, where is it in the calendar, and what's going to happen next, and what's the date? And we, we like to put those things on. That's an earthly thing, okay? Um, so when we get in the end times, there's a bunch of events that happen. Um, and in our concept of time, we like to place those in certain orders, and everybody places them different. So let me throw out the terms, and then at the end, I'll tell you what, uh, then at the end of it, I'll tell you what we believe as a church, what I believe as a pastor, and then um, you can go believe whatever you want to believe. Um, so here's it. Um, we have an event sometimes referred to as the rapture. That's actually what I think we're going to read about this morning. Um, the rapture is an invisible return with, of Jesus for his children. Okay? Um, and we have that event. We have an event called the second coming. That's a visible return where Jesus comes as king of kings and lord of lords and judge. Uh, that's a very visible thing. Uh, that's a time of judgment. We have a, a, a time that we call the tribulation. Uh, that's a time of seven years of God pouring out his judgment. Uh, many people, uh, a lot of it parallels the plagues of Egypt, uh, much like that time. Uh, we have a time called the millennium where... Uh, the millennial kingdom, where for a thousand years, Jesus and his saints reign over all of this earth, and it's perfect peace, and, and everything is right, and justice is swift, and everything happens like it's supposed to happen. And then we have a time called the Battle of Armageddon, where at the end, uh, Satan comes against God in this great epic battle at the Valley of Megiddo. Uh, and, um, uh, then after, and then we have a time called the new heaven and new earth, where God makes it new again, okay? So, 
Let me tell you what I believe, and you can believe whatever you want to believe. But let me tell you how I see it. When I study the end times, here's what I believe. I believe the next event on God's timetable is the rapture of the church. And we'll talk about that this morning. Where Jesus comes back for his children. And the dead in Christ shall rise first, and then we which are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the air. That's what I believe is next. I believe it can come at any moment. I believe it can come today, next week, a year from now, ten years from now. Uh, I think that's the next event. Sometime after that, I'm not, I don't necessarily abide by the idea that it happens immediately, but sometime after that, I think there's a time of tribulation, seven years where God pours out his wrath on this earth and judges this earth. And uh, it's a horrible time. I mean, literally, it's a time where people want to die but can't. It's so bad. I believe at the end of that time, and Jesus comes back visibly with his saints as judge and as king. Uh, that's the whole white horse thing, if you're familiar with Revelation and the army and king of kings and lord of lords, that whole thing. And then I believe that at that point, God sets up his millennial kingdom, a time of thousand years where God has absolute perfect control over everything on this planet. And it is right. It is like he wanted it in creation. And I believe at the end of that thousand years, God, Scripture refers to it as the idea of Satan is loosed for a little season. And Satan is allowed to come back and show once and for all that he's bad. And he comes against God in the Valley of Megiddo, and there is this incredible battle. And Satan is ultimately defeated once and finally. And then death and hell are cast in the lake of fire. And then there begins a new heaven and a new earth. So that's how I see it. Okay? Uh, you are free to choose whatever, put wherever you want the puzzle pieces. Um, but as I study it out, that's, how, that's kind of what I believe that's, as a church where we are. There's a whole bunch of fancy theological words for it, but you probably don't care, and I don't know that you should, okay? Uh, so anyway, so that's, that's, that's where we are, okay? As a, um, very similar, if any of you have read uh, LaHaye's books on the end time thing, very similar to what he would hold, okay, um, on, on that. So that's kind of where we are. All right, with, with all of that. This morning, Paul is writing to these people, and he's trying to tell them about some of this stuff. So this morning, we're going to look at the rapture. Next week, we're going to look at the second coming. Chapter 4, dealing with the rapture. Chapter 5, dealing with the second coming. So let's start in chapter 4 and see what it says. Here's what he says. First um, Thessalonians four, thirteen. But I don't want you to be ignorant. So Paul is saying, look, there's some stuff that you need to know about. Right? And, and he's going to start telling us what that stuff is. Brethren, that's very, very important. This is written to Christians. So this section, Paul's talking to Christians. Next week you're going to see he talks to non-Christian people, and then he talks to Christian people. It's very important you pay attention, because what happens is a lot of people make all the sections about the same group of people. This passage is addressed to Christians. Brethren, <clears throat> concerning those who have fallen asleep, we know that as death. The Bible refers to sleep as Christians, or death for Christians as sleep, and we'll talk about that at the end. Lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. It's interesting. Paul said, you know, as a Christian, you're still going to sorrow. When you lose someone, you're gonna, you're, you're, there's no problem grieving. That's normal. The difference is we don't grieve like everybody else. We grieve differently because in our grief, we have hope. And Paul's going to explain this to him in a minute. We have hope, but other people don't have that hope. 
They don't have that hope of seeing that person again. But we have that as believers. And Paul talks about this idea. And he says um, that you sorrow not as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even also God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. Now, this is an important phrase. This idea in Jesus kind of ties to the book of Ephesians and the idea that we're in Christ. Here's what that means. When you and I put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, what happens is, Ephesians teaches us and other scripture teaches us, we are placed in Christ. Okay? So God takes us and he places us in Christ. Now, here's a question for you. Where is Jesus right now? This is in heaven, seated at the right hand of God the Father, right? Jesus does something else, though. He sends the Holy Spirit, who is placed where? In us. So now the Holy Spirit is placed in us to live, and that's the dwelling place of God, and yet we are placed in Christ. And that's what Paul says. He said that's what the whole resurrection thing is all about, that he conquers death, that we can be placed in Christ, and Christ can be placed in us. So he talks about this idea that he said, those, even so will God bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. So if you're asleep, you're dead. But you are where? In Christ. Follow that? That's going to be important in a minute here. You're in Christ, right? Okay. Where, question, where's your body? In the grave, cremated, in an urn somewhere, spread out all over Nebraska. I don't know. It's, it's, it's somewhere, okay? Whatever you decided to do with your ashes, okay? Um, or wherever that cemetery marker is, wherever you put that casket, wh- wh- wherever it is, that's where the body is. But he says, those, God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. Now, going on, notice what he says next. He goes on to say this. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord. So now Paul is saying, look, I'm going to give you some information you don't have before. You need to understand that a Jewish person who had come to Christ had no, had, had believed, most of them believed in a resurrection. Okay? The idea of being resurrected was not a new concept to a Jew. All right? In fact, remember the story of Lazarus? Jesus comes to the tomb of Lazarus. And Mary's like, oh, you know, Mary and Martha, oh, we wish you'd have been here, da 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 And Jesus looks at him and says, don't worry, you'll see him again. It's very important what she says. She turns around and says, yes, I know I will see him again in the resurrection. Jesus is thinking, no, you're going to see him again in a few minutes. But she automatically throws out, well, I know in the resurrection I'm going to see him again. And he goes, no, 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 no. And he, and he helps explain that to her. So there was this Jewish idea for most people that there was a resurrection. They didn't have a problem with that. And he says this, so I'm going to give, but I'm going to give you something a little different. I'm going to show you something that you haven't seen before. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain at the coming of the Lord, so that would be those who are living here, shall not precede those who are asleep. So the idea is, okay, so we've got people who are dead in Christ. They have been buried. They were believers. They're dead in Christ. And then we've got those of us who are living here. He says, Got two groups. Everybody follow me so far? Okay, we, we good? We good? Let's get really confusing really fast. So I'm, you know, I want everybody to be on track here. For the Lord himself, that's Jesus, will descend from heaven with a shout. Uh, this is a military term, by the way. 
It has the idea of, of, of calling everybody together. With the voice of the archangel, that would be Michael, because he's the archangel, and with the trumpet of God, often associated with either Mount Sinai, where the giving of the law, or all of the temple feasts and, and, and stuff like that, there was often a temple, the uh, uh, trumpet. The idea is that this thing is, is, everybody knows what's going on here. And the dead in Christ will do what? They'll rise first. Now, it's very important to understand this, because over history we kind of get this mixed up. This is a resurrection. This is not a reconstruction. Okay? Because there's people for years that kind of taught this idea that, you know, okay, you know, like if you lost an arm or if you were like in battle and your arm was amputated over in the, you know, in the war and then your body's buried here, like your arm will come from there and your body will come from there and they'll all be, I mean, there's some pretty bizarre stuff. When you get into this, it gets a little crazy sometimes. <clears throat> it's a resurrection. It's a different body. It's, it, it's a different kind of body, okay? Um, but it says, and the dead in Christ will rise first, okay? So you say, okay, so what, what are you trying to say here? Here's the idea. Um, many of you have gardens, okay? Uh, and this is the time of year that you, if you're going to lock your car here at this church, this is the season to do it, <laughs> right? Because people start putting zucchini in there because uh, we don't know what else to do with it because it got too big, and we're not going to eat it. So, uh, and, and so we bring it here, and if nobody takes it, then we go stick it in your car. Uh, so, you know, that's kind of what we do. Uh, just be aware of that. Uh, so, but, I mean, the idea here is that he says, um, the, for your garden, the zucchini, the squash, the cucumbers, all the stuff that's growing right now, did it look like that when you planted it? No, you started with the seed, and the plant came up, and the plant is different from the seed, right? Often when the Bible talks about resurrection, it uses the seed analogy, okay? When we put a body in the ground, and let's understand, we're not putting the person in the ground, we're putting the body, their temple, the, the, the covering of them in the ground. When we do that, so to speak, that's seed. Where are they? In Christ. Where's Christ? In heaven. So we're talking about their physical body changed and glorified, going and meeting with them as a person, is what we're talking about. And we who are alive and remain, well, we're just, you know, I mean, we are what we are. You know, fortunately, we all get a glorified body too. And I don't know, you know, if that happens like on the way up or after we get there or how all of that comes together. But believe me, this is not. Please, God, don't make me look like this for all eternity. Um, you know, do, do something different. But um, you will still know me because, again, I'm, and again, I look, there's a lot of implications on it. Why? Because I'm not my body. I'm not my temple. So will my dad look like my dad? I don't think so. But will I know him? Yes. And, and, and by the way, you, you say, how, do, how can you know? You know why? Because if you'll think about it for a minute, when, on the Mount of Transfiguration where Jesus meets and Peter, James, and John are there, they automatically know who the people are that are there. And they've never seen them, ever. But they immediately identified who they were. So there's something to be said with the way all of that works. And so he goes on and he says, the dead in Christ will rise first. 
So their bodies, glorified, will go up to meet the Lord in the air. And notice what it says. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So they go up, and we come up, and we're all together. That's what Paul says. And then notice what he says, because this is important. What's the last phrase? And thus we shall always be with the Lord. He says, I want you to understand what's going to happen. He said, this is what's going to happen. And he said, and from that point on, you're always with the Lord. So the bottom line is, for those of us who are here today, there's one of two things. We're We're going to meet, if you're a believer, again, we're talking to brethren. If you're a believer, one of two things is going to happen. You're either going to die, you're already in Christ, so you'll go to be with God, absent from the body, present with the Lord. We're going to take and figure out something to do with your body, whether we bury it or cremate it or whatever else. We're going to do something with your tabernacle, your tent, your, your, your shell. And you're going to be with the Lord. Or, the Lord's coming back. And you are going to be doing whatever it is you do, one minute, and the next moment, you will be with Christ and loved ones at the Lord in the air forever. So you either go up, or you're going to experience death. That's what Paul explains to these people. And then notice what he says next, because it's important. Here's how he ends it in chapter 4. The last phrase says this, uh, verse 18. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. These are people who are worried about death. They were worried about, because again, they lived in a culture which said when you died, that was it. You never got to meet anybody. And, and Paul comes along and goes, no, 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 let me explain to you what's going to happen. You're, either, you're in Christ, so you're either going to go and be with Christ, or you're going to be caught up in this event and, and this departure, rapture is the term, this departure where you're going to leave this earth and you're going to go see them. One of two things is going to happen. So guys, I know you're sweating all that Rome is doing and all the things that are going on in your culture and all the things that the Greeks are saying and all the things that the pagans and the philosophers are saying about this is it, there's nothing after this, but here's what I want you to know. This is what's going to happen next for you. So be encouraged. It's okay. Right? Um, so a couple, couple of takeaways, things that, that, that help us. Um, first thing is this. When Paul talks about death for a believer, what's the term he uses? Sleep. This is important. How many of you last night, when you were ready to go for bed, went to bed last night, just panicked that you were going to have to go to sleep? No. Most of you, like me, unless you're a little kid, sleep is your friend. Sleep is something that you don't fear. It's something you anticipate, you look forward to. You enjoy the opportunity to get a good night's sleep. You, you, don't, you don't go to bed going, oh, I, can't, I don't want to sleep, I don't want to sleep, I don't want to sleep, I don't want to sleep. No, no, no. You can't wait to go to sleep. That should say something to you about how we look at death as believers. Do I want to leave my friends and family and loved ones and everything else? No. Do I fear it? No. Something I'm all panicked about. By the way, I've been with people who fear it, and it is not pretty. And I've been with people who 
understand their concept and that they are in Christ and things like that. And it is one of the most incredible things you'll ever experience. And the Bible is very, very clear that for us as believers, it's like sleep. We go to, so here's what happened to me last night. I got ready to go to bed. I put my head on my pillow and I went, and I woke up this morning and it was good. And I had another day in front of me. I went to bed last night. Well, the last thing I said to my wife was, good night, honey. I love you. I'll see you in the morning. In our household, we've done that forever. My kids will tell you. They're so used to me saying that. It's like, it's like you could just, they're just, you know, good night. I love you. I'll see you in the morning. Why? Because if something happened to me that night and I went to be with the Lord, I want them to know one of the last things your dad said to you was, good night. He loved you. He'll see you in the morning. Why? Because when the Bible talks about sleep, it talks about death. When I, some of you have been at funerals that I've done in the graveside service, and I always say this at gravesides of the believers. I never walk away from a graveside saying goodbye. Not of a believer. And often I end my graveside service by saying this. Good night. We love you. And we'll see you in the morning. I'm not like talking to dead people, but you understand what I'm saying. Because I want everybody there to understand that for a believer, it's just, it's not goodbye, it's till we meet again. For a believer, it's not I walk away from there with no hope of ever seeing them again. I walk away just knowing, you know, we're going to be parted for a while. And I'll see you again, and it'll be okay. It's harder for me. I'll never forget one of the most gut-wrenching situations I ever, ever had. Uh, it's probably, probably got to be one of the top three deaths that impacted me the greatest. Um, and many of you remember Sarah, um, Sarah Steinhoff. And Sarah was, uh, Marsha helped me out, seventh, eighth grade, something like that. 13 years old. And uh, Sarah had cystic fibrosis. Um, Sarah, was, Sarah and I had a really close relationship. She could, she'd come to a service with an oxygen tank. Rarely could she ever sit through an entire service. So in the old church, we had swinging doors, and we had like a little lobby deal. So often, halfway through the message or beginning of the message, Sarah would have to go out, and she would sit in the lobby. And as soon as the service was over, while somebody else was doing community, I'd go back out in the lobby, and Sarah and I would sit and talk, and we'd talk about our week. And I loved it. It was one of my favorite parts of the service was to me. I was there. Yeah, I did the preaching thing, but I couldn't wait to get out there and sit and talk to Sarah because we had such a great relationship that way. And um, Sarah was one of the first double lung transplants down in Omaha. And a set of lungs had come available, and so they took her down there to do that. And we got ready to, and and actually, so a bunch of us were there. um, And and about three, four days after the surgery, she passed away. But um, Sarah had a strong faith, um, incredible, incredible girl. Um, But anyway, um, I'll never forget one of the last things she ever said to me. We were meeting. We had a word of prayer. They had her ready. She was heading off into surgery. And as we were sitting there, there was a group of us that were there. And she had this funny look on her face. And, and she looked at me and she goes, um, she said, you know, she said, um, this is going to be hard. She said, uh, 
She said, I feel sorry for you guys. I said, why? Why are you feel? You're the one about ready to have a double, double lung transplant. I mean, and she goes, and I'll never forget what she said. She says, I got the easy part. She said, because no matter how this goes, it's okay with me, but you guys got to sit and wait. And I thought, how profound from a 13-year-old to have that kind of attitude about life and death. And I challenge you with this idea that some of you have lost loved ones, and look, it's till we meet again. It's till we meet again. And, and we as believers have that confidence. Do we sorrow? Yes. Do we sorrow as those who have no hope? No. And that's what he said. Second idea is this. The second idea is that you and I may not face death because the Lord may come back. And we go from this world to the next. Much like Enoch, who was translated that he should not see death. Step from here to heaven. When we talk about the rapture, I have mixed emotions, I'll be honest with you. Because I personally believe this world's really messed up. Not just our country, the whole world. I believe this thing is, I mean, we take stuff that's wrong and we make it right, and we make stuff that's right and we make it wrong, and it's just so messed up. So I, like John, can say, even so, come Lord Jesus. And I'm looking forward to that day, because I know it's going to happen for me. And for me, it's going to be great. I don't have to go through death, I don't have to go through sickness, I don't have to go through illness, I don't have to watch my family deal with all, it's just that I'm here and I'm gone. Awesome. Can't wait. But there's a flip side of that for me. Because I realize that when that day comes, God starts dealing with this world much differently. And God starts judging this world. And this world experiences things that it has never experienced before. And if you want a glimpse of what it's like, look at what it was like in Egypt for those ten plagues. And in all honesty, that doesn't even scratch the surface for what Scripture talks about happens during the tribulation time. And I realize that people that I love, people that I care about, who have not put their faith and trust in Christ, they're going to have to endure and experience all that. So while there's part of me that says, for me, I want to go, there's another part of me that says, Lord, can you wait a little longer? Lord, can you give me an opportunity to say something that I need to say? Can you continue to work in that heart, Lord, for that person that I just keep praying for and talking to and doing everything I can with? The problem, I think, for most of us is we don't have that sense of urgency anymore. Because here's the bottom line. We're okay. If I die tomorrow, I'm with the Lord. If the rapture comes today, I'm with the Lord. Win-win. So it's easy for me to get very comfortable in that and realize that that's not true for everyone. And so I want to take that and spin it a little bit differently for you from the perspective of this. Who is it you're not going to get to be with? Who is it that's going to get left behind? Who is it that you just keep putting off talking to? 
Who is it that you're just afraid if I talk to them, it's going to get uncomfortable and it's awkward and they're not going to want to hear it and, and they may not respond right and, and then I'll feel guilty. And I, no, 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 no. Look, your job, is not, your job is not to convert them. Your job is to share the gospel with them. It's God's job to convert them. It's God's job to work in your heart. But God can't work in your heart if you and I are quiet. And, and I really want to challenge you with this because I think one of the things about the Lord's coming that we forget is it should produce within us a sense of urgency to make sure that the people that are close to us have heard the truth from us. And that's my challenge to you. Who is it you need to talk to? Who is it that, again, I'm not saying they're going to believe it. That's up to them. I don't stand accountable to God for what other people do. I stand accountable to God for what I did or didn't do. Now, those of you who are parents, you understand this. You can't make your kids do right as they get older. But you can do everything you can to convince them to do right. And that's the challenge. As a parent, I'm not going to be accountable for the decisions my kids made. I'm going to be accountable for whether or not I showed my kids the right decision. God was accountable for producing an environment for Adam and Eve to make smart choices, and he provided that. But they decided, you know what, I don't want that, God. I'm going to go my way. So God was the first broken-hearted parent, truthfully. He understood it was like to pour everything into a kid who then just walks away from it all. He gets that. But his job as God was to provide the best environment he could. Your job and my job is to share with people the hope that we have in Christ. So that when the day comes that they face death, they don't face it with fear. That they understand the life that we have. And as Paul's going to say in the, in, in the next chapter, of love, of hope, and of faith. And my challenge to you is, for those of you who have lost loved ones, and they were believers, it's till we meet again. It's till we meet again. You say, does that make it easier? It's still hard. It's still hard. You know? It's still hard every Sunday night when I pick up the phone and just talk to my mom. When for years I talked to my mom and my dad. It's still hard. But I also understand that I don't approach it without hope. It's till we meet again. I hope that everyone in here has that assurance. That you understand death is not something you fear. That you have a faith and trust in Christ. That you have been placed in Christ. That you understand it's not by anything you can do or earn or anything else. But it's by a personal faith and trust in Christ. And, and you have that. So there is no fear and, and terror when it comes to the issue of life and death. And if Jesus were to come back today, at the, in the next five minutes, this place would be absolutely empty. And I don't know what they're going to do with the building project, but somebody else can finish it. You know? What an awesome thing. You know? <laughs> you know? What an awesome thing. 
I really don't want anybody left here to finish it for us. And it would be one of the most incredible things in the world to be preaching, and all of a sudden we all go, boop. That'd be like, that'd be like the epitome of your preaching career. Okay, it really would. But what would break my heart is if you're still sitting here because you don't have a faith and trust in Christ. Because all of this is about that hope. And we want everyone to experience it and everyone to have it. And I would hope and I would pray that I could stand before God with a clear conscience knowing that when he gave me the opportunity to share Christ with my friends, neighbors, loved ones, they heard it from me. What they do with it's their business, but they heard it from me. And that's my prayer for all of us. So I end this morning by saying this. For those of us who are in Christ, death and the future are not something that we fear. But we need to use our time wisely to share Christ with those who don't have that hope. Jesus is tearing his coming to reach as many people as possible. But today could be the day he comes for his children. We need to make sure we're ready. And we need to make sure that we have given our friends and our loved ones the opportunity to be ready as well. Let's pray. Lord, help us. <clears throat> Lord, none of us in here have done it right all the time. We all have people, Lord, that we regret that we did not share the gospel with. We all have people, Lord, that, uh, Lord, our hearts are heavy because we, we, we've been afraid to. So, Lord, I'm asking this week that you would give us the boldness, that you would give us the opportunity, that you'd give us the tenderness to, in love, share the truth with people who need to hear it. And, Lord, for those who have gone on, Lord, we miss them. But we know, Lord, we're going to meet him again. And God, we look forward to that great resurrection morning when we stand together with you because we have all been placed in Christ. So, Lord, use us this week. And, Lord, should this be the last week that any of us have, Lord, we look forward to being with you forever. And uh, use us, Lord. These things we ask in your name. Amen. Um, let's stand together and let's sing the first verse.